0: Good afternoon. Hello everybody out there in radio land and internet land. This is Dr. I and you are listening to The Window. And my partner, my colleague, my soror, my buddy is not here with me today but she's on the line. Dr. Joe, are you out
1: there? I am. Greetings Dr. I. I am in Sunny, North Carolina, enjoying this Southern hospitality, but ready to come home.
0: I know you've been gone quite a few days, and uh, I take attendance. And so it's (laughs) time for you to come back to this table. Uh, Pastor Wayne is not doing what he's supposed to do, Dr. Joe, and you got to put him in check.
1: I'll take care of it when I get back. Don't worry about that.
0: Thank you. Those doggone East High School people. Uh, They have to help each other, and and it's obvious that you're not here today, Dr. Joe.
1: Columbus East High School in Columbus,
0: Ohio. That's correct. That's correct. But listen, everyone, welcome to the window, and um, today we're going to look out the window, and we are going to investigate the wealth or the lack thereof of our people and our community. you remember the song god bless the child who's got his own our parents understood that uh dr joe can you remember um buying a car with your parents or the the house on the neighborhood Uh, that was their goal is to have two cars and a house
1: i remember when i graduated from college i hadn't thought about this in a while And my parents' graduation present to myself and each of our two sisters was to co-sign. I don't even know if co-signing is a thing anymore, but to co-sign for our first car. Mm -hmm. They would make the down payment, they would co-sign, and my dad would utter these words, Don't ever let me hear about this car again, which meant, (laughs) as the Mm co-signer, his expectation was that he would not have to be brought into the loop. But that was their version of generational wealth, Mm -hmm. which perhaps we'll talk a bit more about today, too.
0: Yes, we're going to talk about generational wealth. And another um, reflection of the philosophy of African Americans in the United States was the the, uh, Tulsa development Um, That was the epic. Uh, That's the top of the line in terms of God bless the child who's got their own. And so we're going to talk about that today in the window because we have two investment experts here today. And your frame of reference, your perspective changes as you get older. Um, My first asset this is, this is the truth. My father bought me a Corvair. Anybody remember Corvair? It was the same in the front as it was in the back. There was no distinguishing details or features. It looked the same in the front and the back. And I was so embarrassed by that. Um, but I drove it, I drove it, but that's what I remember about wealth at in high school. And I was uh, one of the few people that had a little raggedy car to get back and forth to work, to to school. But I also had a job, too. He bought the car, but I had to maintain it. So that was the deal. So we're going to talk about assets today. And we are fortunate to have um, a woman who has spent, I don't know how many years in the real estate industry, but she's an expert. She's a friend. Uh, She's also a soror. Um, and she's going to tell us uh, about the real estate market today and give us some recommendations on what kinds of purchases we should and should not make based upon our age. And let me introduce you to Denise Friend Foster. She is the principal owner of Camelot real estate group and she's located right here in central ohio and we are so delighted to have you here today
2: well good afternoon and i would like to say i'm honored to be here Uh, i appreciate the opportunity from my friend and my soror dr i and then of course you too dr Mm joe so thank you you? i'm good thank you Mm -hmm. now um
0: real estate if you had to describe the current real estate market in one word only, what would it be
2: that would be hyper competitive. Now you want to find that for us? Yes, ma'am. I certainly will so I'm sure um, if you are not in the market right now, uh you have friends that might might be might have been. And the issue is that we have such a low inventory of homes available to purchase that uh, the prices have risen. And as a result, um, the competitive purchasing has increased. And so therefore that means where in years past, a property had a list price, and you would go in, you would take a look, you maybe take a day or two to think about it. And then you would speak with your agent and you guys would come up with a purchase offer that may or may not be list price. More times than not, it was something less than list price because you would offer something less in hopes of negotiating a final price that would be less than list price. Today, that is unheard of. Today, when a property goes on the market at the end of the day, all, all um, with all with everything being in order. At the end of the day, the buyer has multiple offers, and um, they don't even consider offers that are presented for the list price. The majority of the offers are coming in over and above list price, in the in the area of ten, fifteen, twenty-five thousand dollars, and there have been some. Something there have been instances of um, more than that, but that's pretty much the average that the purchase the offer is coming in ten to fifteen thousand dollars over the list price.
0: Dr. Joe has a question,
2: yes, ma'am.
1: I do. Why is there such limited inventory?
2: Well, I think um, part of it is COVID. Uh, You know, people were a little bit afraid last year to put a house on the market because they didn't want all the traffic in and out of their homes. Um, And so as that has waned, and while people were home, uh, they decided that they like their homes. A lot of people have uh, a lot of equity in their homes right now. So instead of selling, they uh, have taken out Uh, lines of credit on the equity, and they've upgraded their home to fit their needs. They've added on a home office. They've added on another bathroom. You know, they like their neighborhood, so that instead of moving, they've decided to stay where they are and make the changes that they would like to see in their home.
1: So I know a few people who decided to take advantage of the seller's market, (laughs) and they sold their homes and were very pleased with what they got for it but now they're in that same cycle in terms of trying to find some place to buy or even rent, do you see that happening?
2: Oh, absolutely, uh, that's uh, uh, in our office, we've had a couple of people uh, say that they wanted to sell and in uh, several instances, they, they did not have the wherewithal to be able to buy before they sold. And so the issue is, where are you going? So, you know, um, it's been a challenge. Um, Some people have not been able to find a home to purchase, and they've had to resort to renting. And they are experiencing renter's shock at the cost of rent these days.
0: So the so what should one do? Yeah, so I was going to say the same thing.
2: Well, I would, you know, I just don't know. It's it's up to you. It's up to the individual. They have to decide uh, that they're in this for the long haul, and that means that if you're committed to selling and then buying, just know going in that we are in a hyper competitive market. You are going to have to go in above list price, you will not have the opportunity to nitpick because the carpet's worn or uh, the bathroom hasn't been upgraded. You are going to have to decide that these, you'll have to decide what it is that you absolutely must have and what things you can live with and then decide to move forward.
0: Now this hasn't happened in my recollection before I used to have a mortgage business,
2: and I have never seen anything like this exactly. This is, I think, uh, historic in that regard. You know, real estate is a cyclical thing, you have wanes and lulls, and uh, we are seeing historic. Pricing, And again, I think it's driven, a lot of it's driven by the fact that there is a true lack of inventory. However, there are indicators showing that inventory is increasing. It's very slight, but um, it will have a little bit of an impact. It'll help to even out this market. And that does not mean that the prices are going to go down. Prices will continue to rise. Um uh as will the interest rate, but uh, we do expect or it's forecasted that this will kind of level out here in the next year to 18 months.
0: Before we go into the um, the generational differences on what kind of real estate might be possible, can you just kind of tell us what does this impact? The entire community, or is it only the upscale communities that are being affected by this? What did you call it? Hyper something? Yes, hyper competitive. Is it is it down in the hood, or is it is it everywhere?
2: Well, I'm going to say it's everywhere. It's just it's in different um, percentages. We'll say Uh, with It's really, really difficult at this point in time for um, mid-salary, mid-income people to get into the housing market. There's, again, there's not a lot of inventory. Um, We've got, I don't know whether any of you have experienced it, but I have, and a number of my friends, your phone rings, and you answer it, and it's ABC Company, and we're looking to purchase your home we'll buy it as is we'll do cash we can close in less than 30 days um so even the lower income properties or lower valued properties are being swooped up by those folks because you know if you've got uh, an investor who has a property that he is renting out um he may decide that now's the time for him to jump ship because he's got somebody that'll come in, buy the property as it is, and he's done with the renting portion of his life. Um, But the, the number of, the amount of inventory is low at all price points, at all price points.
0: Now, I think it was a year ago Um, Denise, you sold my son's double Mm -hmm. and that was before all this happened, but it was beginning even then. Um, if I remember correctly, we had people in and out, in and out. Um, but the price was, you know, going up even then with Mm -hmm. the, the, the buyers and that was in a mixed income kind of neighborhood. So, um, let's, let's change the direction of the conversation because my son is 30 Mm -hmm. um and i don't think there's too many 30 year olds that are in the real estate market i could be wrong but we want to look at what makes sense from a generational standpoint what kind of real estate um based upon your age should you own or or should you rent
2: I'm always been, I've always been a proponent of owning, um, even if it's an entry level, two bedroom, thousand square foot property, you are building equity. You're building your own wealth. It may not be a lot, but every little bit helps and it affords you, I think it affords you the opportunity to springboard into the next step, the move up. Um, so my recommendation is that you buy even as a young person um
0: now explain equity for the people that don't know what that means
2: so equity is the current value of your property minus what you may owe on it so you know ideally you buy a hundred thousand dollar property, uh, you pay the mortgage, pay the mortgage down. And with, uh, appreciation being average, usually the appreciation is three to 4% per year. And as time goes on the difference between what the property is valued at and what you owe on it increases. And so that, that is your equity. Um, And during this day and age, it's kind of difficult to have negative equity, to um, owe more on it than the property is worth. So um, I think it's a great idea for people, young people particularly, to purchase, to buy.
0: Okay. Um, What kind of property should they be buying? Well,
2: as a young person, you know, it, it all depends on what their wants and needs are. You know, young I say it's people, a single person. Yes, young single people probably don't want to have the upkeep of mowing the lawn and making sure the exterior things are taken care of. So ideally, they would purchase a condominium. Uh, say a single. I mean a um, married couple, young married couple with plans of having children would purchase more than likely purchase a single family residence so that they have the other amenities that people with children look for usually, which is a yard, something that could possibly be fenced in. They have pets, and um, they're more inclined to have a community, i.e, Uh, other married couples with children to bring their children up in
0: Mm -hmm. talk to the um, listeners about the structure of a condo Um, I've owned one and I I, like I said I I did not have a good experience but other people love
2: condos Mm -hmm. so the one thing you when purchasing a condo That means that you own the interior of the property. So the building, the structure itself, in most instances, the exterior walls, the lawn, all that you don't own. You own what's inside the interior walls. With that comes a condo fee, and that fee can uh, cover a variety of things. It most usually covers the... um, maintenance of the lawn, the maintenance of the exterior, i.e. trim, you know, property needs to be painted, uh, regular routine maintenance kinds of things. However, there is always the issue with an older condo, and if you if you look and watch, the newer condos, the fees are usually less than they are for an older unit. The older the unit, usually the condo fees go up because AS EXPECTED, THERE'S MORE MAINTENANCE REQUIRED. AND THEN THERE'S ALSO THE um, SPECIAL ASSESSMENTS, AND YOU RUN INTO THAT WITH THE OLDER UNITS. THE SPECIAL ASSESSMENTS ARE THE NEED FOR ROOFING, THE NEED FOR PLUMBING UPGRADES, THE NEED FOR HVAC UPGRADES, AND THAT SPECIAL ASSESSMENT IS ADDED ON TO THE MONTHLY CONDO FEE. Um, the, the condo association is governed by a board. The board is usually comprised of members of the condo community. They are to have monthly meetings. There are to be minutes maintained of those meetings. There is to be a financial report, um, uh, shared at those meetings that the finances include what it costs to ensure the community what it's costing to maintain the lawns what it's costing to maintain the snow removal and those kinds of things however like i said the special assessments something that say for instance the complex now is in need of a roof they will have estimates there and then they i guess decide um how that assessment will be paid meaning based on the size of your unit the square footage of your unit if you've got a larger unit you're assessed more if you've got a smaller unit you're assessed less
0: Um, that's what hurt me Um, but we're going to talk more about generational purchases in just a moment we've got to take a quick break and then we also have an expert coming on in the second part of this show to talk about liquid investments like cash. So stay with us on The Window. We are back on The Window. We're speaking with Ms. Denise Friend Foster from Camelot Real Estate Group. And we just finished kind of dissecting the anatomy of a condo. And it appears that there's some Um, uh, details when you buy a condo that you have to be aware of and understand. As they say, if you're not at the table, you're going to be on the menu um, because they have a governing board that makes decisions. I would also say, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, if your lifestyle is different than the condo decision makers, that's a warning sign.
2: Absolutely. And that's one of the things that uh, people need to consider. Um, Younger folks, I I won't say that in general, but a lot of younger people uh, like to entertain. Um, That means there's a lot of people in and out. That means there are a lot of cars for parking. And that could be an issue. And so that's one of the things that you need to think about um, before you purchase a condo. You need to talk to uh, some of the other residents, if possible, to find out uh, what kind of community, community it is. It might be um, a more settled community, a more mature community, and they will more than likely have problems or issues with all the traffic in and out and all of the cars and things that go with that. Dr.
1: Joe has a question about that. Yes, ma'am. I do. We've talked about condos so far as being perhaps a viable option for younger folks who are just starting out with real estate investment with the qualifications that you just talked about though for, Others who are older, on the opposite end of the age spectrum, who might be weary from home ownership, maybe they're tired of the maintenance or perhaps they want to downsize and they don't need as much space, would condominium ownership be a viable option for, let's say, retirees?
2: Yes, absolutely. There are uh, a number of condo communities that require that the occupants be 50 years old or older, and those would certainly be viable for those people who have owned a home for 30 or 40 years, they've reached retirement age, and they don't want to uh, continue with the maintenance of owning a single-family residence. I would advise everyone, and it's um, not too much of an issue here in Ohio because our Ohio uh, Division of Real Estate has... Outline some minimum requirements uh, that are to be presented to any person purchasing a condo, um, and so at the time, you know, if you're looking, you decide you want to purchase, you can make that contingent upon you receiving this variety of documents. There and those include the who the board management company is, their contact information, their articles of incorporation the rules and regulations of that community and that is very important Uh, the current financial statement uh, are they liquid are they in debt you know what what does their finances look like the occupancy rate another big issue are the majority of the occupants owner occupants or are the majority of the occupants tenants because if they're tenants as With a single-family residence, the thought is that tenants don't have a vested interest in the property. So that same thing applies with condo associations. You need to know if that association is involved in any lawsuits or legal actions. You need to make sure that they have a valid (coughs) certificate of insurance. And then you can also request a copy of the condo association Minutes from their meetings, and their annual report. So those things are all should be all should be available to anyone purchasing a condominium, at younger people or older people.
1: So Denise, when you were talking about younger people, you Mm -hmm. suggested purchasing instead of renting. Mm -hmm. Same question again for the older population. Let's say they do move into a condo to. To get away from some of the responsibilities of home ownership, but yet if they're purchasing and not renting, they still have to take care of their own maintenance as opposed to calling the landlord. Mm -hmm. Would you still suggest that older folks lean toward purchase rather than renting for financial reasons, though?
2: Well, I think it um, depends on your personal situation. you know, with rent th- these days, my goodness, the cost of rent is astonishing, I think. To me personally, it is astonishing. Um, and so uh, the issue there is whether the landlord is going to be responsive to your inquiries. We've had a situation here in Columbus this last week. There um, are two towers located within the city. And those tenants, uh, the one lady, I think she was in a one-bedroom uh, apartment, says so she's paying $1,000 a month in rent, but they could not stay in their units for the last couple of days because there was no running water and the air conditioning wasn't working. Um, so that's something you need to consider also. So um, again, it depends on your, your personal situation.
1: Good information.
0: Thank you. And and basically what I hear you saying is you've got to be alert. You've got to read the small print. And if you don't understand something, get a professional to help you understand it, um, especially in today's market, because you can't just jump out and make a decision without understanding the ramifications not just that day when you get the keys but down the road Um, and so that's why we've tied the real estate market to the lifestyle Um, now when do you liquidate when do you sell or do you sell it used to be oh we're gonna keep this house for the family some families don't want that house (laughs) you know um, what what is the process when you when do you decide to liquidate?
2: Well, again, I think that's a personal decision, um, and you're right. Um, in generations past, that was how we passed along the generational wealth was to purchase the property, and it became a family family property of, 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 uh, at the time of the passing of the original owners. Um, you could still do that these days and then let the uh, benefactors, the beneficiaries decide what they want to do with the property. They can sell it, they can keep it, they can rent it. So um, it all depends. you know nowadays we have something called a reverse mortgage and I guess there are some people as they have it's becoming more popular and um, you've got older people who have do not have a mortgage and they take out a reverse mortgage to gain some uh, liquid cash or liquid uh, finances to do some of the things that they want to do, whatever that might be. And then at the time of their passing, depending upon what the balance is, you know, it goes to the lender or the lender takes over the property. So um, it just, again, is a personal decision.
0: Well, speaking of cash, we're gonna transition here. Um, and talk about cash investments with um, a longtime friend of mine that I met, oh my gosh, uh, a long time ago, let's just say a long time ago, and his name is Ira Turpin, and even though he lives in Maryland, he's a Buckeye, and so I would like to introduce to the listening audience our investment expert. Mr. Ira Turpin.
3: Hi, Ira. How are you doing, Dr. Iris?
0: How are you today?
3: I'm wonderful.
0: Good. I heard you all had some pretty crazy weather this past week, didn't you?
3: Yes, the, uh, the hurricane was passing through, and it just continued to pass through. Uh, but we got rain, we got sunshine, we got rain, and then we got more sunshine.
0: Oh, so that's just kind of like what we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. We don't. We have all of all of the above in about an hour. But yep. at any rate, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us about wealth creation um, with liquid assets. Um, we've kind of gotten a, a very um, um, detailed overview about real estate, which is a long-term asset. But mm-hmm. Turpin Martin Powell, your firm specializes in liquidity or cash. So can you tell us a little bit about um, what your portfolio offers an investor?
3: Yes, well, first of all, Dr. Ivers, let me thank you and and Dr. Joanna for having me on today. Um, I appreciate you thinking about me in terms of the discussion of this uh, very important topic. But uh, when you talk about what my firm does, We basically are a firm that offers to clients um, wealth building and asset building strategies that include equities, which people call stock. Stock can manifest in the form of individual stock and stock mutual funds. We also offer to clients what we call fixed income investments, which are in the form of bonds that could be corporate bonds. Um, Tax free municipal bonds. We use cash in our clients' portfolios strictly as a liquidity matter. Uh, cash, even though it is very safe, in my humble opinion, it's not the best asset that you use to build assets and the market value of your assets or to build wealth. Cash is typically a liquidity strategy to take going take on ongoing operations in the household and to cover cover emergencies. And then the fourth category or asset class is what we call real assets, which takes into consider what your previous guest was, was speaking about, which is real estate, but that also takes into consider things like commodities, gold, silver, um, wheat, corn, but all of those assets are what one can ultimately liquidate to reach the goals that they have in mind.
0: And just for those that may not have um, really understood what liquidity means, liquidity is when you need cash and it's tied up in your house or it's tied up in your car and Uh you need to pay your electric bill, or you need to pay tuition for your child to go to school. You need cash to do that. And so that's why liquidity is very important. And it's kind of like the offset to equity. Equity is the difference between an asset and a liability, which Uh would be your house and how much you owe on it. And if you can get the equity out, You'll get it out in 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 a liquid asset like cash, so right. just to clear that up. Yeah. so um let's we've got a, a few minutes before we have to take a break, but mm-hmm. I'd like to know um, what are popular investments right now for anyone?
3: Well, it, it depends upon what you're trying to accomplish. You have people who are short-term investors. And so they're typically going to shoot for short-term-related quick turnaround assets. Uh, but most people are long-term investors. And it's the typical thing that you've seen over the, the time frame of the, the history of the, of the market, which goes back over some 80-plus years. But it's the standard stock, stock mutual fund. It's the standard bond, bond mutual funds, uh, annuities, fixed and variable annuities. And then, again, real estate uh, from an investment standpoint. The, the interesting thing about what we do here at Turpin Martin Powell is that for centuries, how you invest and what you invest in really hasn't changed. It's so like I tell people all the time. The dollar bill is still green. It hasn't changed, and it won't change. We have, we have silver in the form of our, our coin, that has always been the same, so the strategies that one uses still remain the same. It just depends upon how you custom tailor those strategies to the needs and the interests of each individual investor.
0: I have one other question before we go to break. If you had to pick one word to describe the current liquid or, or, or investment market, um, and that would be what?
3: sound s-o-u-n-d the market is sound right now
0: and sound means steady stable and why
3: well because if you look at it in terms of recent history we've had a great jobs report the s p 500 the nasdaq the dow which are three major indices it kind of gives you an idea of what the market is doing they've set new highs multiple times throughout the year of 2020 and going into to 2021. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that that's history. And the markets, at least in terms of the capital markets from an investment standpoint, is a forward-looking investment strategy. And so as we look forward, as we look forward to tomorrow, we're seeing that we have a good domestic uh, plane, both globally also. Um, there's the above average growth that we're seeing, Even real uh, gross domestic product uh, may be the best since, think about this, since 1980. The Federal Reserve has the strategies in place to help this economy to grow. And then when you look at the fact that we have over $5 trillion in fiscal stimulus and more money to come, that's great news for the stock market and that's great news for the economy as a whole. Investors always look at earnings. How much money is a company going to return to the investor? Well, it's their, their earnings. Earnings growth is good. Bond appreciation is growth. Economic conditions continue to improve. And last but not least, the thing that most people are always looking at is interest rates. They're low. They have been low. But the good thing about it is that interest rates transfers into the word or the meaning of, of cost of money. And when interest rates are low companies can borrow, create new jobs, and create new opportunities for investors.
0: Okay, we're going to have to take a real quick break here, Ira, and we're going to come back and talk about some of the generational decisions that people should make um, in the market on the window. We are back. And um, I'm glad that commercial ran because um, I was going to ask the listening audience um, to let us know if this show adds value to your news about the world. Um, We are trying to assess um, whether or not this is beneficial. We think it is. So if you enjoy hearing about the topics that we bring to you via this radio station, go to um, our Facebook post um, and just Put a comment in there that this is very helpful. Um, it answers questions that I had, didn't know who to ask, because that's what we intend to do. We intend to continue to give information to our audience about factors and, and decisions that are made that impact in, in pla- our life. So before we get back to um, Ira, I gotta put this word out here and then Dr. Joe has a question. Uh, what's going on with the gas prices, Ira? I'm, I'm, I'm getting very upset over this. In, is that inflation I'm seeing?
3: That's exactly what you're seeing. You're seeing inflation and you're seeing opportunity. Um, the, the law of supply and demand mm-hmm. is, is a major influencer of gasoline prices. And we went through a period where the supply certainly exceeded the demand. And as a result, gasoline manufacturers will adjust accordingly. So that if we have an oversupply, they'll cut back in terms of manufacturing. If we have an undersupply, then we'll increase manufacturing. But both of those um, dynamics have an impact on the uh, the prices And then when you take into consideration the opportunity where we have a country that has been pent up for uh, well over a year as a result of COVID, and so you have people traveling now, and sometimes uh, gas prices will reflect the traveling trends of the the country.
0: Now, that makes sense. That makes sense. Dr. Joe has
1: a question. Mm Mm-hmm. I do. To go back to the great information that you were giving us before the break about investing, what would you say to people who might be thinking, well, gee, I barely have enough money to pay my bills every month. Where am I going to get this money to invest? That's just for rich people. What would you say to them?
3: <laughs> you know, we have a, a process that we go through with with everyone, uh, especially younger investors. Uh, when I say younger when they have gotten into uh, their working years and their early years, they think that they just cannot invest because they're not making all the money that they can make or they, they would like to be making. But what I tell everybody that you should do is take a, a week or take 30 days, and every time you spend some money, get a receipt. Write on that receipt. Then categorize those receipts. This was housing. This was for gas, this was for travel, this was for fun, and add them up, and then look at those receipts and say, "Well, did I really need to buy what I just bought?" Because some people, quite frankly, do impulse buying. no rhyme or reason, they just wanted to buy.
0: I just raised my hand.
3: and so if you can if you can get rid of that impulse buying, and I'll guarantee you that if you do that exercise, which I call a receipt expenditure analysis, you'll find somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 to 150 to $200 a month
1: hmm.
3: of expenditures that you did not need to spend. Then you stop buying those things and you start using that money for investing.
0: I guess that answers that question for all of us uh, impulse buyers. Um, break it down more, Ira, with let's say a uh, a, a family of four, and then move into um, the uh, senior citizen category. What kinds of investments should a family make, as well as someone that's retired?
3: Well. When you think of the, the categories in terms of where you put money, I mean, those are going to be consistent regardless to the the makeup of the family and the, uh, the, the tenure of the family. You know, asset classes inclusive of stocks and bonds and cash and, and real assets are the same for everybody. The question is, is what is the particular need? The first thing that anybody should do is you need to – formulate what I call a a financial advisory team and that includes first and foremost uh, people like a financial advisor who can help you discuss things and clear things out for you in terms of what you should do you need to have a, a tax advisor you need to have a a legal advisor you need to have a insurance advisor if you're looking at buying real estate you need to have a real estate advisor but you have to surround yourself with people, with vision and knowledge. And then you need to make sure that you you write down your investment plan with your end mind, goals, and vision. Now, I said end, not I-N, but E-N-D, your E-N-D, your final spot in terms of where you want to be with your financial assets. A younger family is probably going to be, and they have children, they're probably going to be thinking about educating children, you should look at 529 plans because that money gets invested it grows tax-free and if you bring it out and you pay for college tuition it comes out tax-free everybody who's working for an employer that has a 401k plan you must participate in that, into that make sure that you get the the match that's like an automatic return on your investment before it even gets into the market And it's the same thing for an older family. Children are gone. But what I do with my clients as they grow and they get older, we start looking in terms of how do we eliminate debt? We take all of our clients into retirement debt-free. Mortgages are paid off. No personal uh, loans, no personal consumer debt. But in terms of when you come back to the actual investment options, they're going to fall into those four categories, stocks bonds, cash, and real assets.
0: Now, that's for um, individuals that have worked all their lives and they've accumulated these these uh, amounts of money or stock. What about self-employed people?
3: Well, the, the interesting thing about it is that self-employed people have uh, even a little better picture in terms of uh, investment opportunities than people who are employed. Because when you look at retirement plans, so to speak, uh, a self-employed person can, can set up, if they're a single owner of a plan, there's a thing out there called an owner-only 401k plan. And you have the same benefits as somebody who's putting into a General Electric 401k plan. But you also have the ability to put in more than what an employee does. An employee puts in about $19,500 a year. A owner can put in up to $54,000 a year, depending upon their income and their earnings. So it depends upon the status of the person and what they're trying to accomplish. And that's why I always say, look at the in-mind goal, look at the in-mind vision, and you work setting up your plan based on that.
0: Are you... um am um, implying, or maybe I'm hearing that buying stocks is not such a great idea?
3: Uh, I'm saying the exact opposite. Stocks, think of it like this. You buy stocks in one of two ways. You buy an individual stock. You mm-hmm. go out here and buy Microsoft.
0: That's what I'm talking well, about.
3: Yep, you go out here and buy an individual stock. Or you go out here and you can buy mutual funds, Okay, which is a basket of stocks. Think about going through the grocery store. Every time you put something in that basket, it's from a different company. Mm-hmm. That's just like having a stock in that, in, that, in that grocery basket. I say yes, equity is a major part of growing your assets. It gets the best return because you get capital appreciation. You buy it for a dollar, you sell it for two dollars, your capital gain is a dollar. So I'm saying yes, you buy equity but you buy it in terms of what you're trying to accomplish, and you buy it in terms of your risk parameters, um, and you set up a allocation in terms of how you want your money to be spread around. You've heard the old saying, "Don't put all your eggs in one basket." Absolutely. That's what allocation is. You have money in different categories,
0: and that's like the mutual fund, correct?
3: That's exactly what the mutual fund is. <laughs> You buy one stock, your risk is high. That one stock goes down, you're in trouble. You buy a mutual fund, inside of a mutual fund, you'll have somewhere between 80, 90, even as much as 300 stocks inside of that mutual fund, of which you own a portion of each of those companies. So if a company does a bad, is in a bad situation in a, in a mutual fund, it's not going to compromise the entire mutual fund and it gives you and the mutual fund manager time to get rid of that stock and put a new one in its place. But if you own Microsoft only, you're, you're putting all of your eggs in one basket. See? And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do either or or. You can do both. You can have mutual funds and you can have individual stocks.
0: Now, Ira, re- I also have to bring up this term because I have no idea what it means. Cryptocurrency.
3: <laughs> well, it's a uh, it's a hot item in the, uh, in the market these days. Um, most people don't know what cryptocurrency <laughs> is, and they're investing in it, hmm. which is a mistake. You've heard of Warren Buffett. Mm-hmm. One of the things Warren Buffett says to people: know what you're buying, know what you're investing in. But cryptocurrency, really, it's um, it's a it, it came about in, in roughly about 2008. Um, there's a gentleman by by the name of Nakakamo, Naka, Naka, Nakamo Nakamoto, and that's an alias. That's not his real name, but he's the one who really came out with this Bitcoin that everybody talks about. And really the way they define it is that it's, it's a kind of a vision of how an in individual can hold, um, can send, and can receive items of value digitally, not hard cash, but digitally. And then they receive it without having a trusted intermediary. Intermediary. A trusted intermediary is basically a bank or a payment processor everything that we do under the current system goes through a bank or a payment processor for money to function but cryptocurrency BitCom puts the individual investors doing direct business with one another
0: that doesn't sound safe to me
3: well that's why it is right now such a high risk should people invest in it I, I won't say yes or no. I, it all comes back to allocation. But my clients who have asked me about cryptocurrency, we haven't gotten into it yet. But what I have talked with them about is instead of buying the individual cryptocurrency like Bitcoin and the other ones that are out there, I say that's like buying an individual stock. I say look at a crypto asset index fund. And if you do that, you can have all of the various cryptocurrencies inside of a fund, which is just like a mutual fund. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, but it shouldn't be, in my humble opinion, I don't think it should be more than 2 to 3% of your entire portfolio. But what's happening is that a lot of people is that they're buying and they're putting everything that they have into cryptocurrency, and it's very volatile. I mean, it it has wide swings both up and down.
0: Um, Ira, we are out of time, but I need to uh, allocate a few minutes for you as well as Denise to give your contact information. We appreciate uh, you taking us through Investment 101 today. Um, And how can someone get in touch with you if they want to do business with you and, and learn from you?
3: Well, I I think the best thing is go to my website at www.turpin, T-U-R, T T as in Paul, I-N, Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, Powell, P-O-W-E-L-L.com. Or they can call me directly at 301-218-8800.
0: Everybody get that, write that down. And now, Denise, how can they get in touch with you?
2: Well, the best way to get in touch with me is that you can, of course, call me at 614-239-5788. That is our office business line. Or you can go to my website, which is www.camelotrealestategroup.com, all one word. And thank you. Thank you so much. Dr. Joe, do you have any
1: parting comments? No, I'm just going to stop my impulse spending and see if I could take advantage of some of the great advice we got today on the window.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Ira. Thank you, Denise. Thank you. And if you all appreciate this kind of information, let us know um, because we believe it's important and we just want to hear from you. So thank you, enjoy your weekend, And we will see you next week on The Window.